This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Welcome to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. Do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that the babies are racist? Senator. You just heard that sigh. The sigh heard around the country during the confirmation hearings of Supreme Court nominee Kataji Brown Jackson. That moment went viral and was felt so deeply by so many, especially black women. Not just because of the question from Senator Ted Cruz, which was a dumb one, by the way, but for the strained expression on Judge Jackson's face as she took a silent pause. It was the pause of someone who decided to choose poise over Will Smith chaos. She was being challenged yet again about her right to certain spaces, to changing the game, and to breaking barriers. My guest today knows a lot about being the first to do something, but she also knows she wouldn't have had that same grace in front of Ted Cruz. I'm constitutionally incapable of being talked down to. That is my homie, Michelle Roberts, former lawyer and executive director of the National Basketball Players Association, the Union for NBA Players. You see, she's the first woman to hold that position in the history of the league. And she's the first woman to lead a major sports union in North America. She did that by gaining trust from the players, by showing up for them time after time. Michelle put their safety first during the pandemic and helped mastermind the NBA bubble to continue the season. But her most memorable accomplishment was when she helped them use that bubble as a platform for social justice in the wake of George Floyd and police brutality protests. The Milwaukee Bucks have decided to boycott Game 5. You see the tweet right there. When do we want it? What do we want? And the players carried protest messages on their jerseys. Don't shoot! Don't shoot! Today on the show, I get a chance to talk to Michelle about how she went from corporate law to the NBA the stereotype she faced as a black woman along the way, and her two cents on my sport, college basketball. She's tough, she's honest, and wait for this, she hates the school I play basketball at, Duke. Here's my conversation with the Michelle Roberts. Hi, Michelle. Mr. Williams, how are you? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. So can we kick things off, and um, can we just dive a little bit into... The fact that you don't like my school, nor do you like players from my school. I think that's a great opening subject matter. No, it's so unfair of you to say that I simply don't like them. I hate them. And, 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 be, and let's be clear, I don't hate the players. I hate Duke. And because you happen to play for Duke, I, I therefore hate the team. But, but I, it's the kind of hatred that, that you relish in because you, know, you only hate those the people that on some level you admire. Hmm. And the Duke, the Duke college program, basketball program at least, um, has been extraordinary. And so every time they beat a team that I'm supporting, it, 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 it saddens me. And of course, I'm really sad right now since, since Duke has made it once again into the Final Four. But no, I don't dislike Duke. I hate Duke. <laughs> Great. I'm glad, we can, I'm glad we can find some connectivity at the beginning of this conversation. <laughs> I, I, I'm so curious, from somebody who ran the Players Association for as long as you did, uh, just on the subject matter of college basketball, what are your thoughts around name, image, and likeness for college athletes and just the NCAA as an institution in general? 
Yeah, you know, I'm not as big a college basketball fan as I've historically been a professional basketball fan. And frankly, part of the reason has been that as much as I have enjoyed watching college basketball over the years, I've never stopped being bothered by the revenue that's been generated by the schools and not shared in a more meaningful way with the players. And so there's always been a little bit of a resentment towards college basketball. And not so much that it doesn't pay the players money, but it just struck me as really sort of mean-spirited not to allow these men and women to enjoy some revenue generated from their intellectual property. Um, again, I understand the whole notion of getting a free education and all of that, but you know, we're talking a lot of money that these schools are making. And I, look, I'm a capitalist. I don't have any problem with making money and generating revenue. But it always bothered me, not just a little bit, but quite a bit, that these kids were not able to generate some revenue. And I knew this day would come. I'm sad it took so long, but I'm delighted that it's here. Michelle, I want to talk about some other news for a quick second. Um, I can't help but draw the comparison between you and Kataji Brown Jackson. Mm. She's the first woman to ever be nominated for yeah. the Supreme Court. And the hearing last week was so intense that, first off, did you, did you watch it? And if you did, what were your takeaways? I could not have not watched it, of course. Um, I, I did watch just about every second of it. I, I wasn't surprised at some of the vitriol that some of the, some of the senators dared aim at her, um, frankly. And I'll say this, you know, the Democrats can, can behave like children, too. Um, but I wasn't surprised at some of the nonsense that she had to contend with. I, I got to tell you, uh, I could not have been prouder at her ability to not cuss him out. See, there's a reason. I, there's a reason I will never, ever, I don't want to, but there's a reason I would never, ever be a, a judge, a federal judge, let alone a Supreme Court justice nominee, because I, I, don't, I know that I am constitutionally incapable of being talked down to. I'm curious, as you are watching her, Michelle, you know, there are moments in my life where I watch somebody that is breaking barriers or doing something that's unprecedented, and you almost become in awe of the poise in which they address certain, was there a one particular issue or incident in particular that you said, wow, the way you handled that just goes to speak about where you are and about where our country is trying to go. There was a point where she just stopped talking. She sighed and she didn't say anything for probably no more than eight to 10 seconds. And of course, being, being the fool that I am, I said, get him, girl, meaning meaning cuss him out because it was such a stupid, <laughs> insulting question. But instead, she took, she took a pause and she was clearly collect, collecting herself. And then she gave an eloquent answer. I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than. Many of us would have forgiven her had she called this fool a fool, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. As you were watching as a black woman, what does it mean to you to have somebody that looks like you sitting in the highest chair in the highest court in America? She shares a birthday with me. She doesn't know this, of course, because I barely know her. I mean, we've met once or twice. But she and I share a birthday. I'm, I'm considerably older, eh, a couple of weeks older than she is. Um, but the one thing and I tell people this all the time, I'm an attorney. I had not met a black woman lawyer until my second year of law school. And when I did, it was as if I'd, read, I'd met a rock star. Because even though I believed I could be a lawyer, 
I'd never seen one. I never met one that looked like me. You know, Michelle, I can't help but wonder how much you know you are a motivation for young black women out there. You were the first black woman and the first woman to ever head up a sports union. I'm so curious to hear from you what types of stereotypes or biases you witnessed while you were blazing that incredible path. You know, the good, the good news is um, I was not, and I don't think I could have been, or sh- perhaps should have been at like 30 applying for that position. Um, because at, at a certain point, both both women, certainly African-American women, certainly African-Americans have got to become comfortable understanding that they're going to be people who are out to get you, right? Either, either to destroy you on the, on the one extreme or simply humiliate and insult you or disrespect you, right? I mean, that that is the unfortunate reality, certainly for being a, a, a black woman in, in, in business because there are lots of people that just don't think you have any right to be in the room. Hmm. Now, it took me a long time. I'd like to think that it took, me less time than, than, than perhaps others, but it took me a long time to finally not want to run into the ladies' room and cry in the sink. So I say all that to say that I had taken, taken my lumps and I learned how to, how to protect myself and grow that, that thick skin. And then equally importantly, learned how to check people. What were some of those techniques that you learned to protect yourself? First off, you never let them see you cry, right? I remember when I was a trial lawyer, there was a, literally there was a, a woman who was uh, I got yelled at by a judge. I was her supervisor, and, and she asked for a recess. And then before she, the judge granted the recess, she was openly weeping, and I knew that she was hurt. And but I, but I spent the first few minutes telling her that I was principally concerned about her inability to hold just hold on until she can get out of that courtroom. Don't you let that son of a bitch see you cry. Because, uh, frankly, that emboldens people. So, I mean, the, the, you know, I, I walk into courtrooms and people would ask me, is your lawyer here yet? Um, mm. I would actually go be approaching counsel table when my case was called. And you know, the clerk, or sometimes I've had judges say, uh, ma'am, take your seat in the courtroom. And I'd say, Your Honor, I'm Michelle Robinson, counsel for. Um, I've had meetings where I walk. This is pre-internet, right? I'll show you how old I am. I'd have meetings, I'd walk into a, a conference room and people would do a double take and they said, Mr. You lost because they didn't have internet and didn't have an opportunity to, to, to check me out and figure out that, oh, there's a black woman. Uh, I've been in meetings and, and every woman can attest to this, black or white, where I've said something and you know, radio silence, five, 10 minutes later, a man says, it. that's a great idea. All right. The, the, the best news about being uh, underestimated is that, is that your competition underestimates you and your ability to, frankly, kick his ass. And I've had lovely, lovely moments when I walked into a courtroom, no one knew me, um, and they, when I opened my mouth or gave an opening statement or cross-examined a witness, and they suddenly, you could see that they were saying, uh-oh, because they didn't think that there was any, any formidable opponent that they had to prepare for. I just stopped caring about what they did and, and did my job and made myself be the best lawyer in that courtroom. Uh, you know, as I got older and people got to know me, I couldn't get away with some of that stuff anymore. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. Because you made a big, you made a yeah, huge I, name I, for that's yourself. That's fine exactly. because then you know, okay, you know, that's all I want. All I want is to be treated with respect and have my my my, my professionalism be honored. And so if now people say, "Oh, Michelle Roberts got the case," we're gonna have to get ready. Cool, makes for a better fight. 
After the break, we take it to the league. Michelle's predecessor, Billy Hunter, kicked up a lot of controversy by hiring family members on staff and keeping questionable financials. When Michelle took over, the players didn't trust it, nor did they trust her. How she earned back their confidence with time and due diligence. This is The Limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Michelle Roberts runs the union, representing over 400 NBA players. And formerly one of the nation's preeminent trial lawyers. My past is littered with the bones of men who were foolish enough to think I was someone they could sleep on. That's somebody you want representing you. Without a doubt. Here we go. Back to Michelle. Michelle, you started off as a lawyer, as a public defender focused on criminal justice. Can you tell us and provide some context with how you actually ended up in the NBA and basketball? It's quite the story, actually. (laughs) It's really ridiculous because if if I had planned it, it probably wouldn't have happened. (laughs) Um, You know, I grew up in 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 New York, in the South Bronx, in the projects, and I have two older brothers who, like just about every young black man growing up in the projects of the South Bronx, all they did was play basketball. The sound of a bouncing basketball was like the soundtrack of my childhood. That's all you heard day in and day out. And so I grew up naturally, I think, learning and loving basketball. I sort of bumped into the job. I I was a trial lawyer. I tried cases before I left to become part of the NBPA. And I tried big cases. They were the trials would last for months at a time, um, mostly complex commercial cases representing Fortune 100 companies. And one case ended up settling, um, and I had a gap in my calendar. And I had a lot of time on my hands, and I had time to read the paper and read about my then predecessor having been fired. Billy Hunter, uh, right? Billy Hunter had been fired by the players. And I remember reading it and thinking, well, that, it'll take them 15 minutes to, to, to find a guy or, or a gal <laughs> to take over that position because it sounded like it was a really cool job. I wasn't even aware that there was a union for basketball players, to be candid with you at that time. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know. So I thought I'd just you know, inquire 
and I inquired. And, wow, you yeah. cold emailed the headhunter. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's I, yeah, and said, <laughs> what's the status? And he said, well, you know, we, we're, we're hoping to get to some finalists. Are you seriously interested? And I said, well, I, I'm thinking about it. Um, and he said, look, if you're really serious, you need to make a decision. This was on a Friday, I remember that. Um, by Monday, because we really are closing out. And I remember thinking to myself, who, who does he think he's talking to by Monday? Look, dude, right? I'm a partner at a law firm. I'm making money. I ain't got, don't tell me. But I, I'm glad he gave me that, 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 that sort of fixed period of time because um, I spent the entire weekend literally saying, wow. you know, look, you're going to do this because I knew it was going to take work. To, you know, to prepare for interviews. And frankly, <laughs> the notion of being interviewed by the players really excited me. I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan. So that Monday, I called them. I said, well, let's go. Wait, so tell me, tell me about the interviewing process. Who interviewed you? What was it like? What kind of questions were you asked? <laughs> you know, the, the good news is I respected these, the, the players. I mean, I, it occurred to me that you can't, and you know this, Jay, you can't become a, a part of the NBA family unless you, it can't just simply be because you've got skills on the court. You've got to be a, a very, very bright man mm. or woman to get into it, right? So I, I didn't underestimate the, the players and think, ah, well, I can, you know, I can ad lib a bunch of jocks asking questions. I, I actually prepared as I would for any job interview if I was trying to get a client, right? Did my due diligence. Ended up being interviewed initially by the members of the executive committee. Um, at that time, um, it was uh, Andre Gudala, uh, Steph Curry, um, Chris Paul. Um, they wanted to know what my commitment was to the, the, the business, and they wanted to make sure I was not just a fan trying to get in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but it confirmed a respect I sort of, sort of knew I had for these men because, and you know this, it's, this, is, this, is, this is the livelihood. This is for whatever number of years they play, this is the, 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 their revenue-generating years. And they took very seriously, they take very seriously. I think that they were a little annoyed at themselves for not having kept a, a, a closer look at, 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 their, at my predecessor. But they interviewed me as thoroughly as I've ever been interviewed in my professional life before. It was inc- it was incredible, and, and but now and I, when I say that now, I think to myself, "You stupid idiot!" And having worked with them for over seven years, I now know this is this is exactly what they do. These aren't a bunch of right? these aren't a bunch of jocks. I need you to be honest with me, and I will only talk to you this way. What kind of shit did you walk into, Michelle? <laughs> I mean, as a former player, and I'll say it for you: some of the things Billy Hunter was doing as it relates to mismanaging some of the revenue was blasphemy. It was, how did you even begin to build trust between the head of the PA and the players themselves? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Let me, let me say this because I, I, I want to be fair to, to Mr. Hunter. He didn't steal anything, all right? Well, okay. that's, that's sort of... A, that's why I said mismanagement. Right. That's all right. I said. So, I mean, you know, there's some, I represented union officials in my old life who, was, who, were, who were stealing. I mean, they were stealing, stealing. Billy, <laughs> but, you know, Billy's his issues were not those. But I, I will say that the, it was, uh, I was shocked that g- given the amount of money that the players do pour into the union, 
I was shocked at the, the, the services that were not being provided to players. Um, I, was, I was absolutely shocked. Um, and there was, frankly, there, were, there was barely any staff. But the, the, the trust thing didn't happen overnight. I mean, it did not happen overnight. And it, it should not have. It had to be earned. And what I would do was just stay as available, be in as many faces as I could. And people had, I would be chagrined if someone had a, a problem and they took it to the league as opposed to coming to us. We started this first call mantra. If you've got a problem, call us first. Our only interest is in you and your welfare. Um, we're not your agent. You know, we're not your team owner. We're not your coach. All we care about is you. So call us first. If mm. we don't have the answer, we'll get it. And it took about... I remember not ever having a player call me and almost feeling as if I was bothering a player if I called. Um, it took about two years before I had players call me. Um, and by the time I left, I had a player call me. It would, be, it would be odd for a player not to call me on any given day. It would be unusual if I didn't get a call from at least one player. So, but it, it, was, it was something that my staff worked very hard to, to earn, and that was the respect, number one and then ultimately the trust of the players. We had work to do, and you know, thank you, Mr. Hunter, for giving, making it not that, uh, not that easy. You know what else wasn't easy? Figuring out how to get the NBA up and running again after the pandemic shut down all live sports. But Michelle acted on a crazy idea, the NBA bubble, where all 22, that's right, 22 teams would spend three months in one location. And it worked. It got the teams back on the court. The idea came from listening to the players. And Michelle listened to the players again when they began speaking out about how black people were treated at the hands of police during the George Floyd protests. We're getting into all that and more after a quick break. Support for NPR and the following message come from NPR sponsor Allianz Travel Insurance. From quick weekend getaways to international vacations, an annual travel plan from Allianz Travel Insurance can protect your adventures for the next 365 days. And with benefits starting as close as 100 miles from home, you can have peace of mind wherever you go. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. This message comes from Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and more. Schwab's research uncovers emerging trends, then their technology curates relevant stocks into over 40 themes to choose from. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Visit schwab.com thematic investing. This is my voice can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Say her name. That's the mantra that swept the nation when Breonna Taylor was unjustly killed by police in 2020. It was even more powerful when the icons of the NBA made it their mission to say her name. But I know we lost a, a, um, a beautiful woman in Brianna um, that has no say-so and um, what's going on right now. 
and we want justice uh, no matter um, you know how long it takes even though it's been so many uh, so many days it's always much bigger than a sport it's almost much bigger than basketball because that could be anybody that could be me that could be any african-american michelle was listening she listened to brianna taylor's mother when she led a call with her and dozens of nba players she listened to the players when they said they needed a way to speak out for black rights She encouraged and defended her players' rights to play safely through the pandemic. She listened, and so I wanted to listen to her tell me how I could be a better listener. Here's what she had to say. Take me through the steps of how you guys ultimately concluded on going to a bubble, how the deal got arranged with Disney. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, Michelle, I've always appreciated your candor. How did you get Black Lives Matter? the name on the court during the bubble, during one of the times in the pandemic where millions and millions of eyeballs were on the product. I got to tell you, I mean, I, 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 the pandemic uh, stalled my retirement by two years, <laughs> right? Because I, I, I'd had, I had only planned to keep the job for four years. And then I said, okay, six years. Um, and then, then, you know, Corona showed up and said, "Nah, you take a seat, <laughs> right?" And you know, it was it was an amazing. And you'll remember, you'll remember this was an amazing time because you know we're all you know, we, we we I didn't see it coming. And I remember when I shut the office down, telling my staff, "Okay, we're going to check in once a week to see when we can come back into the office." I, my office is still shut down. My people are still working um, remotely. So everybody, we shut down, and coincidentally, Jay, the day that we, that we stopped playing, I had a meeting with Adam. Um, I don't even know what we were meeting about anymore, but that he and I and his team and my team were meeting. And, you know, the, the virus was, was certainly accelerating. Um, and we, and this is one of the reasons why, at the end of the day, I respect him. I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I need to tell him that the position I'm going to take, if any of our players end up testing positive, is that we have got to stop playing and figure out what the heck is going on. So I said to Adam, I said, I said, you know, we've been lucky, knock on wood, but this thing is spreading like wildfire. You know, I, I got to say, Adam, we need to talk about stopping playing, stopping the games if players get sick. And he said, there's no question but that we will. And I remember thinking, okay, he said that that came too easy, <laughs> right? <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> that night, Chris called me and said, you know, what's going on? Chris, pa- You're Chris, about Chris Paul. Paul, right, Michelle? Called me and said, you know, okay. what's going on? I said, what are you talking about? He says, you know, we were out shooting around, getting ready to start the game, and they told us to go back to the locker room. What's going on? I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm still in this uh, Uber. Let me call you when I get upstairs. It's almost at the same time, uh, I get a call from Adam who says, you know, we got a positive, and that's when Rudy, uh, Rudy Gobert, tested positive, and we're going to stop the game, stop the games. And I said. Okay, he wasn't BSing me because I wasn't sure. That, I mean, Adam, you know, you know I, again, I, I respect him because you know, he isn't, he, I haven't caught him at least lying to me. But, and yet at the same time, I, you know, this is a business. And the question was, can we safely resume play? When the bubble idea came, came into the conversation, I thought it was insane. I, I, I thought this is insane. Um, how in the world are we going to? do this, where are we going to do it? And then when the Disney property became an option, it began to suddenly seem to me to be doable. But then we had to sell it to the players. And, and as you can imagine, they were like, Michelle, what? You, you mean, what? 
I said, look, dude, this is the deal. You all make the decision, uh, but let me talk up to you about how much money you're not going to get paid if we can't finish this season. Can you tell us what that is? Just because I, I, I don't feel like people had a true sense of how much could it be at stake. So guys were going to see a substantial, uh, certainly in excess of 60% of their, of their contracts paid. And we're not, we're not going to get paid. Um, and so I, you know, like my, my, my view was, it's on you. If, if, you, if, you, if you're prepared to lose that money, fine. And so it was made very clear that if there was an inability because of natural events to, 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 to play, then you don't get paid. Just that simple. So then, but, but all of this was, was based on whether or not we could do it safely. And there was no vaccine. Remember, there was no vaccine at that time. We had to be in complete isolation. We had to test and we had to remove people who tested positive if that, if that occurred. Um, and there was a, among the players, there was not a consistent yes or a consistent no. And part of it was we mm. need to be in these streets dealing with this, this police, police issue. And we can't do that if we're all isolated in a bubble in Disney. And, and suddenly players said, you know what? Why don't we use that, that bubble as a platform from which we can collectively keep this discussion going? And that idea grew and grew and grew among the players. Again, there were still some, some dissenters. And so the condition that, of play that was communicated to the league was, we're going to play basketball, but only if we can, without fear of, of retaliation, um, express how we feel about what's going on in the African-American communities and, and, and misconduct by some law enforcement officials. And not surprisingly, the league said, how big do you want the logo to read that Black Lives Matter? Mm. Um, and, you know, again, you got some fairly progressive team owners um, who themselves were very supportive uh, of, of the movement. It was a lot, a lot less challenging than many people might think. And now, and football may have been a different issue. I don't know about football and maybe baseball and that 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 sport. But basketball, I think, historically has been fairly progressive when it comes to civil rights issues and social justice issues. It's been, it's had its moments when there are players who have been certainly punished for, you know, being more vocal than than others. But um, at, in 2020, um, there was really very little pushback on this notion. And some will say it was because the owners wanted to make sure they got paid. They wanted the season to continue. I, I, I'm not mad at that idea. That could be true. So it was, it, it was, a, it was an opportunity to both um, fulfill their contractual obligations, you know, to be professional athletes and, play, and, and get, get paid for what they were, do what they were getting paid to do, yet at the same time um, not abandon their, their social justice concerns and frankly do it do it safely you know we didn't have once we sort of cleared the first few weeks we didn't have a single positive among players wow i mean it, it was incredible to, to yeah. see the players feel that they were being heard and i think that stood on both sides of the aisle right you had mm-hmm. even guys like jonathan isaac who decided mm-hmm. not to kneel but had the right and the freedom mm-hmm. too, but wasn't exiled Absolutely. or alienated from the group. So it, it still was done collectively together. Mm-hmm. It was such a polarizing time mm-hmm. and, and still yeah. is because it was like you had to either be this or that and people couldn't understand how complex of a subject matter it was. It wasn't something that was just black or white. There were nuances to it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, look, we have players who have law enforcement members in their family. Sterling Brown, who was assaulted by police, his dad is a police officer, right? Chris Paul, he has law enforcement. So if the issue wasn't we hate the police. The issue was, you know, why can't we get rid of these these rascals that are just bad, bad cops? We got to get rid. And we, and we weren't. No, no one was talking. There are some players who believe in defunding the police, but that wasn't the, the majority of the of the, of the, the clarion call. It was we got to do something about the, that people in the community being killed like this. Michelle, that's really such a testament to you putting the players first. And as a former player myself, I, I have to tell you how invaluable that is. So I want to personally say thank you. And most importantly, go Duke. I will, Jay, I will not say go Duke, but I will say it's been a pleasure spending time with you. Anytime you need, just give me a call. Likewise. Likewise. A big thank you to Michelle and her team for making this happen. To hear more about activism in the NBA, stay tuned for this week's The Limits Plus episode, which drops on Thursday. Michelle looks to international issues in professional basketball, including the detainment of Brittany Griner. She also talks about why unions and organizing are essential to professional sports. Now, I always end the show by thanking the people who work their tails off to make all this happen. It's not easy. Today, I want to spend some time thanking someone who has been essential to our team. His name is Edward Wyckoff Williams. And he's worked tirelessly behind the scenes to shape not only this show, but countless more at NPR by booking the amazing guests you hear from week to week. This show and others at NPR could not have happened without him. We've recently lost him. And our hearts go out to his family and to all of his friends during this difficult time. Not only was Edward incredible at his job, but that pales in comparison to the person he was, the bright light that he brought each and every day for everyone that knew him. This was a tremendous loss for our team, for NPR, and for the world, to be honest with you. I never got a chance to meet Edward in person, but every time I talked to him, he brought a smile to my face because he wanted to be the best at what he did. And I wanted to take a moment just to say thank you and to send my energy to his and his family because I know this is a very difficult thing to do. It's difficult for me to even voice the words, but it's our job to live for Edward and continue to bring the energy, the spirit, and the light that he brought to our show and the people he was fortunate to be around each and every day. That's our responsibility. So to Edward and his family, I say this, rest in power, King. We will miss you, but we will continue to live your energy for the better every day. So from all of us here at The Limits, remember to keep it moving and stay positive because that's what Edward would have wanted us to do. This message comes from NPR sponsor Allianz Travel Insurance. Don't get caught without emergency medical coverage on an international trip. Learn how Allianz Travel Insurance can protect your trip from the unexpected at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. 
what does it mean to be Black in America? And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.